Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Earth had passed away. What is that going to be like? There was no more sea. Well, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, you see. Okay, we've learned about that in uh, Matthew 24. We've learned about that in Isaiah 65, 66, tons of scripture references. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, when we say the Lord's Prayer, we say, Your kingdom come, right? Your will be done. Uh, in earth as it is in heaven, right? So new heaven, no new earth, wonderful. So uh, this heaven and earth are going to disappear. We just we cannot comprehend that in our finite understanding of how we live our lives in this mortal flesh, in this mortal world that is infected with sickness and death. This is we're going to get into some d- dimensional talk tonight, okay? Uh, We're looking at something that's going to be happening in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22 that's literally going to be happening outside of time, okay? (laughs) We're looking at quantum physical dimensional things, okay? There's going to be uh, no more time. There's going to be eternity. There's going to be no more sea. Why is that significant? Why would it be significant that there's no more sea? Well, a couple things we notice right off the bat, uh, you know, what does the ocean do for the earth primarily? What's its number one job for planet earth? Well, it covers 70% of the earth, okay? And it covers to an average depth of 2.3 miles and its antiseptic salinity is 3.5%. In other words, it purges, it cleanses, and it perseveres our planet. Well, that's, gonna be, that's not going to be necessary anymore. Interesting also, as we uh, look for the sea through Scripture in Matthew chapter, 20, or Matthew chapter 8, the sea was rebuked, remember, uh, by Jesus, you know, uh, Beast, the beast came out of the sea. Demon swine took refuge in the sea. In John's day, the sea meant danger. It meant storms. It meant separation. Uh, John was on an island at the time when he was getting this vision uh, from God and was taken uh, to the heavenlies to be shown all this stuff. So anyway, uh, there's a lot of um, important references to the sea that will not be anymore. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 13 refer- references a fervent heat that changes all things. Let's take a look at that. 2 Peter chapter 3, we're only going to jump out of Revelation a couple times tonight, once to Ephesians and once to here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's read verse 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens, here it is, will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, verse 13, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So this is not the first time that we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing this. Uh, here, John is receiving this prophetic vision. Peter has obviously received this prophetic vision as well, uh, or has read the, the prophecies in the, uh, of uh, uh, the forefathers. Okay, the world was promised to once be destroyed uh, by water and once by fire, and we know that. And Adam built, made two uh, pillars uh, without getting off on a rabbit trail. It's an interesting study to do some uh, pre-flood history stuff. Well, let's keep reading. Uh, verse 2. Verse 2. We're only on verse 2. So the first heavens and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John... 
saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is interesting. Now, coming down. So, New Jerusalem coming down, the holy city coming down. Okay? It's interesting. Prepared as a bride adorned. So, the, the bride is coming down. So, it was up there. But this, that's, perhaps there's something in that uh, for the church. I don't know. But, uh, it also definitely uh, outlines heaven as a tangible, physical place here, okay? Verse 3, let's keep going. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4. And God, this is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, church, come on now. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Somebody say amen. Nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Can you even imagine this? We can't, no, no is the answer. We can't imagine this. No more death. No more tears. Every tear wiped away. No more sorrow in our hearts. Even if we're, even even the the toughest, gruffest of us, right? That don't want to show weakness, right? We might not want to let anybody see you shed a tear, but you feel sorrow. You feel sorrow. There will be no more sorrow. We can't even comprehend this. We can't even comprehend this. Verse five. Then he who sat on the throne, he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Oh, Holy Spirit. I can feel his presence right now. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And this is really cool because what's the title of Christ? Faithful and true, right? Faithful and true. He said these words are true and faithful, but that's a title of Christ, faithful and true. This is a fresh start. And that's what some of you watching tonight need as well. Uh, you need a fresh start. Jesus can be your fresh start, I'm telling you. Uh, cast your cares and your burdens upon him. He who bled and died for you, he who paid your debt and your penalty, I don't care what it is that you've done, I don't care how short you think you fall. I don't care how badly you have missed the mark, um, how down on yourself you are, and, and, and rightly so, right? None of us are perfect, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. But guess what? He makes all things new. You've heard all of the... Uh, uh, all of the cliches a million times. So that's a new day, right? It's a new day. It's an, every day is a new chance to, you know, get up again and try again and whatever. It's, every second is another chance for a fresh start with Jesus. Somebody needs to hear that. And, and whoever you are, uh, I hope you take it to heart. This is the Lord who makes all things new faithful and true. Verse six, let's keep going. And he said to me, it is done. It is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely. Yes, freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. This is this directly harkens back to our letters to the churches, all right? Listen, if the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart right now, whoever is listening to this, you need that new fresh start in Jesus, okay? You need to have some things in your life that you need to overcome, right? You have got some uh, bad thinking, bad teaching, bad believing. You think God looks at you and he's disappointed. He's, he's not. If you put your faith and your trust in him that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to save you, then he looks at you and he sees his child. Do you understand? <laughs> all things are new and you can overcome because he makes all things new. This promise to the overcomer 
is a direct reference to the letters to the churches. The first uh, three chapters of the book of Revelation, he writes seven letters to seven churches. And in every letter, he says, here is the promise to he who overcomes. There's a promise to the overcomer. Who is he that overcomes? The church is he who overcomes. He who overcomes is ultimately somebody who puts their faith and their trust in Christ Jesus. So be that be that a uh, tribulation saint that's saved uh, through the tribulation or somebody who was saved uh, prior to tribulation via rapture. That is all part of the first resurrection that is one in Christ, all right? So this is a promise to the overcomer. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Let's keep reading, verse seven. And I, I will be his God and he shall be my son. That's intimate there. This is, a, this is a completion of everything. We're studying it now in Ephesians where we are fully legally adopted heirs to the kingdom of God, but we're just waiting for that the transfiguration moment when we're taken to him and made like him. We've got the down payment. We've got the position. We've got the possession. We've got all of that now. And truly, even now, we are seated with Christ in the heavens. However, we await this. this. So here it is. And that intimate, that intimacy will be there. I will be his God and he shall be my son. Verse 8. A little bit of a change in tone here. But the cowardly, some translations say the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And we, I'm not going to talk too much about that because we talked more about it last week than I had uh, planned on anyway, but hopefully I explained it well enough. Um, better to over-explain a thing than under-explain a thing, right? So, but notice the fearful, right off the bat here, of the list of things that he ran off, the fearful and the unbelieving, they are listed first. The fearful and the unbelieving, they are listed first, okay? Or, or the cowardly slash fearful, unbelieving, first things on this list here, right? Uh, I find that interesting because if you remember in Mark chapter 4, verse 40, uh, remember that Jesus was sleeping on the boat, the storm came, and they woke Jesus up, and what was the first thing he said? He said, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? And then in John chapter 14, verse 27, what did Jesus say? He said, peace I leave with you, right? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse uh, 7 through 8, uh, we learned that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if we're operating in that spirit of fear, we're really not operating in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit that is sanctifying us, right? The Holy Spirit and Jesus himself sanctify us, all right? So of these, of these character flaws of the damned, essentially, uh, murderers, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars who have their part in the lake of fire, which burns forever and ever, right? Which is the second death. The first two characteristics of them are, un are unbelieving and uh, fearful. So uh, fear is not a trait that is uh, native to the believer, all right, so Satan always wants to get that into us because um, he wants to drag us down with it. But it's 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 foreign to our nature, uh, our spiritual nature anyway. This flesh is so sick, though. Um, anyway, who he's talking about here, just to clarify, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, sexually immoral, liars, all of that, who have their part in the lake which burns uh, with fire and brimstone. These are those who lack, simply lack an awe for God. They lack an awe for God. Uh, they have a lack of respect for God. And, and turn this one around, they don't have a fear of God, which is a reverence, revere, fear for God. All right, this is the second death. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues... So you've seen this, John's seen this guy before, came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Cool. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem. So you see, there is the bride. 
descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, similarly, between the Hebrew word for crystal in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 22, and the Hebrew word for ice, this word here really suggests a diamond, which, how cool is this, a diamond in a gold setting here, right? Isn't that appropriate for a bride, huh? Uh, we're obviously, at this point, dealing with some uh, hyperspace things, right? Some interdimensional things, as sci-fi as that sounds. Look, that's just the way it is. We know that for Creation Week to have happened, uh, um, the best quantum physicists in the world um, would tell us that God would have to exist in 10 or 11 dimensions. We know for a fact that we exist in four, five, if you want to count our spirituality, right? Um, but an atheist would say four dimensions, right? So uh, <laughs> that's a real part of our existence. I always like to say, if we could just have spirit eyes to see what's going on all around us, I think our minds would be blown uh, how much angelic and demonic activity is happening all around, all around us in the world every day, just beyond the veil, which will be lifted one day. But uh, it's a very real aspect of our creation that we don't think about very often. But the, the scientists at CERN in Geneva, Switzerland, they're all too well aware that there are, that dimensions, different dimensions are a real thing. They're studying dark matter. They're trying to open wormholes right now with the Large Hadron Collider. They're hoping to reach into another dimension. Now, you can read it on their website. It's not like they're hiding it. They think it's cool science, right? It's, it's scientific stuff here in the Bible, which was written by John on Patmos 2,000 years ago. That's, now, that's cool, right? So John's writing about some quantum physics Geneva, Switzerland stuff here <laughs> in, in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 21. Uh, but Chuck Missler always said there are only two kinds of people that, that, that they seem to be able to deal with these ideas of hyperspaces. Mathema uh, math uh, uh, mathematicians with special training and very small children because their minds aren't limited, they're not boxed in yet. So, uh, it's interesting to think about. Um, let me read you this scripture. You know what, Chuck Missler used to do something all the time. Uh, Eva, will you get me a piece of paper and a pencil? I just thought of this. In the meantime, give me Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 and 19. Do you have that up, Eva? Do that first, thank you. It, it, this this, this uh, passage, this hyperspace stuff in um, Revelation really harkens us back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 and 19. Uh, verse 17 writes, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We talk about a lot about that, don't we? Through faith. Uh, that you, being rooted and grounded in... In love, verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, and depth, and height, verse 19, to know the love of God, or the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. This is one of my favorite, uh, favorite uh, scriptures here. So much happens in life that was some we just we don't understand. We don't understand God. I mean, even just this past week, uh, a young man, uh, a family that we love very much uh, in Arkansas, uh, they lost their their 22 year old son this past week, and you just and the the way they lost him is just not right. And you just you're so much in this world that we just do not understand. And we just have to rest in the sovereignty of God that he knows and he's not surprised this, by this day. And though this is not what he, this is a, a bad thing that happened is not what he wanted, but he's going to make something good come out of it. And I dealt with all that when I lost my dad as well, you know, but this verse here, to know the love of Christ, which passes beyond knowledge, what knowledge is what makes sense to man's mind, right? And, and learning, right? 
the love of Christ passes even beyond that, right? So uh, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So taking back this, uh, let me look at uh, verse 18 again. Can we see verse 18? And can we put it up on this thing over here? Um, so we've got width, length, depth, and height there. Four dimensions, for what did we just talk about a minute ago, talking about hyperspaces, right? We know that we exist in four dimensions. We, we, I'm tall, I'm wide, I have girth, right? And, well, where's time? Time's the fourth dimension. Interestingly, here, that word length in the Greek is a Greek word for time. So how cool is that? There it is, laid out. So these are the four dimensions that we currently exist in since the fall in the garden, and the Holy Spirit has written them out through Paul's writing here in Ephesians. Pretty incredible. So I asked for this piece of paper because I want to view this. Uh, I am a much better artist than this, but you're going to have to just give me a break, okay? You're going to love this. If Amber's watching upstairs and not... Uh, preoccupied with Cyrus, she already knows what I'm doing. This is one of my favorite. Uh, uh, if you guys haven't, yeah, I know you guys, if you really know me, you know that Chuck Missler, I consider him to be my teacher, my Bible teacher and the Koinonia Institute. Just uh, So uh, this is one of the Chuck's classic examples. So we're talking about dimensions. Can we see this? Can we see this? We zoom in here, Andrew. Feel free to, uh, can we, uh, I don't care if we even move the camera in. We're just going off the cuff tonight. You guys can appreciate that, can't you? Zoom in on this. That's Mr. and Mrs. Flat. They exist on this piece of paper. This is a two-dimensional piece of paper, all right? Two-dimensional piece of paper. I love it. This is their world. They don't have, they're just... They're tall and wide. They don't have any girth, right? Mr. and Mrs. Flat is their, <laughs> is their name. Well, what happens if I exist in more dimensions than they do? What happens if I just punch a hole right into their universe, right? They don't know what happened. They don't know where that came from. All they see in their little dimensional world is a flat hole open up on the piece of paper, okay? Does that help explain the, the, the dimensional thing to you guys a little bit? How God exists in more dimensions than we exist now. So we're in four dimensions. He is in at least a fifth dimension. It is beyond us that we can't comprehend. Poor Mr. and Mrs. Flat. They don't know what just happened because they don't, they're, they don't have any, any uh, uh, depth or girth, right? So they're uh, height and wide, but two-dimensional only. So they would have never seen me coming. So I hope that uh, that helps anyway. I always love that analogy. So that was fun anyway. So with that in mind, these are the contexts with which we're studying chapter 21 and chapter 22. We've got to understand that there's a lot more going on here than we can understand without thinking from this perspective. So... Let's uh, go back to verse 12. Let's keep moving through 21, okay? So, having the glory of God, her likeness was like a most precious stone, like a jasper crystal, like a diamond, right? Diamond and gold, verse 12. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Verse 13, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Okay, so 12 gates. Are we getting there? Patterning 12 tribes of Israel. 12 gates, 12 tribes of Israel. Remember our salvation, our salvation, the salvation of all Gentiles comes through Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, right? Come on, you know the song. Try not to get that stuck in your head now, huh? So interestingly enough here, remember we always see these uh, cartoons or these memes about uh, St. Peter at the pearly gates, right? Here are the, here, we're, we're literally talking about pearly gates right now, okay? And no Peter. Just make a note of that, all right? 
So verse 14, let's keep reading. Now the wall uh, of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Verse 15, and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The next several verses here. You guys with me? This is fun, isn't it? I think it's cool, so cool. The next several verses talk of city measurements and stones that mark the foundations of the city. Uh, John was told to measure the old city in Revelation 11, and now he reckons the new city, okay? He measures it by furlongs, okay? Let's just read those verses. Verse 16, the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, its breadth, and height are equal. Verse 17, then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. So the city equals out to be, if we're going to break down, I could show you the math and it's, I just don't have the time for that. It's a 1,000 378 square miles. If you take the measurements of the furlongs to the Greek measurements to how we measure today and you do all of that math and I could show you do show you the long work but I, I don't think it matters. Oh, I mean it matters but a hundred a thousand three hundred and seventy eight square miles. I don't think it matters for our purposes tonight. Uh, let's keep reading. The construction verse 18 of its walls was ja was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations, verse 19, of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, cal chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth uh, sardonyx, sardonyx, zinc, I don't know, uh, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, and the tenth uh, chrysoprase. Chrysoprase, I don't know. <laughs> I have fun with these sometimes. Uh, the eleventh, jacinth, and the twelfth, amethyst. Uh, there is a lot of conjecture, okay, basically. A lot of conjecture on, um, so he gives you precise measurements, how many square miles exactly the city is. He's giving these exact, so we know the word of God there's a reason he's going into these details. We just don't know what, what they are yet. We will one day. I just don't think it's necessarily very relevant to us now uh, or that would be uh, revealed to us. But I think, I think that once the rapture event happens, once we are transfigured, having this knowledge will, I, I, think it, I th still think this is gonna come into play at some point, maybe even after we're raptured as far as its relevance. Uh, here where we are now, there's a lot of conjecture on what each stone represents. And that's a fun study. I'm not gonna take the time to do that tonight because that would eat up a good another 10 uh, or 15 minutes possibly. So if anybody wants, I've got some material that I cut out of tonight's message for time on what the different stones represented in the ancient culture and what their significance of each stone could be. But like I said, it's a lot of conjecture. Um, so if you email me at chad at chadrandall.com and I'll, uh, I'll just hit reply and attach that document if you're interested in, uh, in having that information, okay? Um, but I don't want to use our time there tonight as I believe that we won't really know for sure what it means and looks like till we see it beyond our present dimensional state. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls, pearly gates. Again, notice no Peter. Uh, each individual gate was of one pearl and the streets of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Verse 22, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. They are its temple and the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Wow. 
That is just incredible. We can't imagine it. We just can't imagine it. I mean, we can try, but, you know, this is, like I said, this is some hyperspace interdimensional stuff. I mean, God who created the earth, created the sun, created the moon, created all of this, yet exists beyond it. We're going to see it all. I just can't wait. Uh, the pearl being here, uh, per, the gates being pearls is a, is an awesome, awesome uh, uh, thing to point out here. And it's an awesome idiom, idiom for the church because pearls were a Gentile stone. I think we talked about this back in um, our letters to the churches, the, the beginning of Revelation. Pearls are a Gentile stone because they're not kosher. They come out of oysters, right? So they're not kosher. Okay, as they come out of the sea, not out of the land, all right, they're bottom feeders. Guess what? How, how does a pearl grow in a uh, uh, clam or whatever, right? Or an oyster? They grow in response to external irritation. <laughs> and don't we as Christians grow do in response to external irritation or persecution or suffering? That's what brings about our growth just like the pearl. They grow uh, uh, by a... Uh, uh, oh, they, they grow by irritation. Sorry, I lost my place. Uh, but then they ultimately are removed from their place as well. They're removed from their place of growth uh, to become an item of adornment, right? And... That's so cool, too, and we're thinking of in the scope of the church being raptured because the church will be the fairest jewel of all. Don't you know it? Malachi chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 reads, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them. As a man spares his own son who serves him, then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. Oh, Yeshua, come Lord Jesus, they shall be mine, and I will make them my jewels, and I will spare them. Verse 24, back to Revelation. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. Remember, God is the light now. There's no sun anymore, right? The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated. The Lamb is its light. The nations of those, verse 24, of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. Verse 25, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. We can't imagine. Verse 26. And Amber will say, uh, See, Chad, finally, uh, you won't have to go to bed because I operate on very little sleep and I'd never want to go to bed. <laughs> uh, verse 26. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Verse 27. But there shall be, there shall by no, there, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The gates are never closed and there is no more night. Come on now. Come on. That's exciting. Who's ready for that? God has apparently here accomplished all of his original purposes with man. And what's his original purpose with man? We just studied it last uh, last Sunday in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So this has been accomplished. Amen. The gates are open and there is no more night. Mm, he'll wipe every tear, church. Friend, he will, he will wipe every tear and there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. Mm. Come, Lord Jesus. Chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, verse 2, in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit 
every month. That's a great tree. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. Mm. And there shall be no more curse. Amen. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So here we see, what do you say? that The tree every month gives up its yield, its fruit, right? So we know that there will be a, some form of time there, okay? Some form of time there, but not like what we experience now, okay? These leaves off of these trees, there's, they yield continuous health. Think about that. Continuous health, no sickness, no more sin, no more death, nothing will be lost. Oh, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. Uh, you know, the second law of thermodynamics is entropy, right? So right now, the sun is dying, right? God said, let there be light, and everything happened. The universe is stretching out. Everything was hot, hot heat, Right? Everything was whipping around so fast. You know, they talk about that. Well, how could the uh, the earth is only 6,000 years? Well, how could they get a measurement for a billion years? Well, I don't know. I mean, if one day was the earth was moving so fast around the sun and time is actually something that is a tangible part, a dimension that is experienced earth-centric, right? I don't know. Uh, there's some great books I've read on that stuff. Um, but entropy is the is the law is the law that everything is dying for example the universe is cooling off right now and this continues to cool off until one day it stops right or dies or whatever that's uh, so the second law of thermodynamics but even that entropy will be repealed information will never never more be confused ordered systems will not deteriorate Heaven will be a place of ceaseless activity. Incredible. Verse 4. Let's keep going. We got this in us tonight, don't we? Verse 4. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. Verse 5. There shall be no night there. I underline that, I underline that again. They need no lamp for light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, the time is near, verse 6, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Again, the name of Christ, a name of Christ here. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which, which must shortly take place. Verse 7. Behold. This is, this is it gets good here, okay? Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Christ is the centerpiece of this book. That word quickly right there. That word quickly is the word uh, uh, taku. Taco, which means, uh, or you could say taco, right? <laughs> which means in rapid succession. It doesn't mean like, hey, John wrote this in uh, Patmos in 90 AD and he's coming quickly. Boy, I guess he was wrong because it's been 2,000 years. No, what it means is in rapid succession, not shortly, uh, uh, but uh, immediately or soon, right? So whenever something happens in rapid succession, okay, uh, like when a domino tips, once that tips, it goes boom, 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 boom. So we're waiting, we're waiting, and we're waiting. As soon as it's, this takes place, it will happen in rapid succession. So we need to read that correctly. Behold, I am coming in a rapid succession of events, okay? A succession of events. Uh, seven different times in Revelation uh, do we see this uh, quickly. Is is referenced. This is where we get our word for tachometer, by the way. Uh, so it means rapidly, rapid succession, not uh, in the uh, time frame of, well, I guess we were off on that. It's been 2,000 years. No, when it happens, when the first ball drops, or however they say that, whatever that saying is, then they all go. All right? This is a book of prophecy. This is not a book of confusion. This is deliberately, okay? Uh, three different times in this chapter is he going to say 
these things are about to happen, taco, rapidly, okay? In a rapid succession once it, once it, once it comes, all right? Let's keep reading. Verse 8, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Again, here we see an example of an angel that will not allow himself to be worshipped. Quite a contrast to Lucifer, right? Who, want, as an angel, wanted to be worshipped, right? Um, the word book here is listed seven times in this chapter again. In the book. Adhere to the book. Written in the book, right? The book is continually referenced as, we, as it was last week, Okay. Uh, you know, faith is more than just believing, isn't it? What does he say? For those who keep the words in this book. So faith is, you know, even Satan believes that God is who he is and Jesus is done for humans what he has done, right? I believe that a chair will hold me, that chair over there will hold me, but I don't have, I'm really not putting any faith in it until I sit in it, until I do something, until I trust Jesus with my eternal soul and salvation. Do you trust Jesus with your eternal soul and salvation? Have you put your faith in him truly for eternity? To, to be your Lord and Savior, Lord of your life and your Savior, have you given him your life, your heart? Hmm. Because once you do, what did we learn about in Ephesians the last few weeks? The moment you do that, your heart is sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, and he leads you into good works that he has already prepared for you to do. And then that's the proof, as James chapter 2, 19 through 20 tells us, that, uh, you know, uh, you know that, that your faith is proved out in, in the works that you do. Works don't save you, but they are evidence of your salvation. So, verse 10, anyway. Before we get off on that. Verse 10, let's keep going. And he said to me, and he said to me, do not steal, do not steal, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is at hand. This is really cool. The time is at hand, okay? Uh, this phrase here in the Greek uses the word keros, okay, meaning opportunity or next event, okay? The next event is at hand, okay? The opportunity is at hand. Opposed to normally they would use the Greek word uh, chronos, which is time, chronos. They would use the word keros here, which means opportunity. So do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book. Do not do that for the opportunity for the opportunity uh, is at hand. The next event is at hand. So this is the opposite of what the angel told Daniel to do, isn't it? In Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 12, this is the opposite. You know, our point in case uh, the, our, uh, that our, we believe we're in the end times, a reason, big part of why we believe that we're in the end times is because the angel told Daniel to see, seal all those things up. Our understanding of Daniel, the fact that we are understanding it now, that we are scholars are doing Revelation, Daniel Revelation Bible studies and putting everything together and seeing it in the 70 weeks and all that. Just the fact that we understand that prophecy now, understand the prophecy of Daniel all the way up uh, the 62 weeks, the 69 weeks to Jesus' coming and understanding all of that, you know, that's a sign. That is a sign that we're in the end times, that th that those things have been unsealed because now we uh, we understand them. So, here the angel saying, don't seal these works because the time is at hand. The opportunity is here. The next event is here. The next shoe is about to drop. Verse 11, let's keep going. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Verse 12, and behold, I am coming, there it is again, quickly, rapidly, rapid succession. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work, according to his what? Work. This is a reward for work. You're not saved by works. 
you're rewarded for works. So you're, this is, he is coming to give rewards, not judgment. There's not judgment for those who are in Christ, who are in Christ because the judgment was poured out on Jesus as he hung on that cross. We cannot forget that. We often do, even as saved believers in the church. There's no judgment day for you coming where you stand and, and Jesus stares you down and, and, and just wears you out over every little thing that you should have done that you didn't or everything you shouldn't have done and you did, right? That's not going to happen. He took all of your punishment. He took the judgment for you. This is according to, you'll be given according to your work and your work is not for salvation, okay? Your work is for reward. So that's what we're, what is in view here. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He will finish what he started. In other words, Jesus is not just a prophet, okay? Uh, he's not uh, Satan's goody-two-shoes brother, like the Mormons want to say, okay? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, as a matter of fact, as we studied last week, it's important to note that when Satan is finally drug out and cast into the lake of fire, it's an angel that does the dragging. It doesn't even take Jesus to do it. An angel did it. Another angel, because he was just an angel. Jesus is not an angel. He's not a prophet. Not Satan's brother like the Mormons and... Ah, uh, all those twisted other cults uh, believe he is. He is God. He is God. He is an equal part of the Trinity. Verse 14, blessed are those who do his commandments. Blessed are those. So seventh beatitude. Blessed are those. Seventh beatitude in this book. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city, but outside are dogs. Dogs really get a bad rap uh, throughout the Bible. We have to keep in mind, um, sorry for all you dog lovers, but we've got to understand that dogs in the ancient world were scavengers, okay? They were scavengers just in the streets and what, they were not, they were not domesticated pets like we have now, okay? So it was an accurate analogy back then. Scavengers of the ancient worlds. Remember the Jews, the, the Jews, the title that they had for the Gentiles was what? Dogs. And what was Paul's title for Judaizers? You remember a Judaizer is a Jew that says to a Gentile Christian believer who says, the Jew, a Judaizer says, oh, well, Jesus was Jewish and he's the Jewish Messiah to the Jewish people first. So you're going to have to uh, get under the law, become a Jew in order to get the Jewish Messiah uh, privileges. And Paul said, oh, no, 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 no. Just read Galatians for me on that one. All right. Uh, so Paul referred to Judaizers as dogs because, mm -mm, how dare you? How dare you uh, put, put that yoke and that burden on them? It was never their law in the first place. So verse 15, back to first, uh, verse 15. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Mm. You know, obedience, obedience truly is uh, the mark of true salvation. You know, works don't save you, you know, but if you love Jesus and you recognize what he has done for you and you truly put your hope, your faith, and your trust in him, you're going to want to, you're going to want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. You're going to want to do what he tells us to do in, in the word. And that is first and foremost is love. That's primarily love. Not love as the world loves. No, love is not love apart from truth, by the way. You're just being polite if you're not telling the truth. If you're not sharing a, a life-saving truth with somebody because it might make them uncomfortable or hurt their feelings, you're not loving them. Oh, so we are the redeemed here. There's seven glories of the redeemed. Um, I found this in... in uh, some notes I had. Can I see this graphic? No curse. You're redeemed now. There is no curse. Okay. The throne of God and the Lamb, his servants shall serve him. Okay. It is, 
We get to see him face to face, eternal vision, his name on their foreheads. There will be eternal day, no night, and there will be an eternal reign on David's throne. And we'll get to that right here. Let's finish up chapter 22, beginning with uh, chapter, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. So here it is. Promise kept to David. Okay, he shows his love for David right here in Revelation 20, uh, 22. Uh, he references his promise to David multiple times in mentioning his throne. He will sit on the throne of David, just as he promised David he would. Just as Gabriel promised Mary Jesus would, right? The root, of the, the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, and all God's people said, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts Come, and this is it. Oh, this is everything right here. Don't lose this. Don't lose this. Uh, whoever, whosoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Yes, Jesus. Mm, so good. That's who Jesus is. Come, take whoever desires to drink of these living waters. Come and drink freely. Oh, do you drink freely from the well that is Jesus Christ? The freedom, the freedom. Have you been set free from all of your bindings that the world or bad religion has put on you? Be free, set free of them in Jesus' name. Whosoever desires. So each of the seven churches received this book. Think about this, the letters to the churches. Each of the seven churches received this book along with their letter. The church, or the bride, is with him now. You see that? See that? The spirit and the bride say, come, come. So the bride is with him there. The bride is with him there. Whosoever, come freely. Verse 18. Let's read 18 through, all the way through 21. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things... I'm looking at you, Joseph Smith. God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. What a horrifying place to find yourself in. And there are... Uh, you know, bad cult, false Jesus religions popping up all over the place in the world right now and in Central America, all over. <sighs> He's coming quickly, church. He's coming quickly, amen? Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly, rapidly, in a rapid manner. When he comes, it's going to be like, whoosh, whoa. I, I mean, all of this stuff is just going to be like whoosh, whoosh when it comes. One thing, one, one thing will drop after another. We've been waiting for years for all these different things to happen. We're going to see Gog-Magog war, right? Uh, Gog-Magog war, uh, temple, uh, the, revela the, the, the beast sitting on the holy, in the Holy of Holies, setting up an altar, uh, all of this stuff. I, all of the prophecy, once it starts happening, it's just going to be like, boom, 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 boom. Like, waiting, waiting, waiting. Boom, 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 boom. That's how it's going to be. That's what, the, that's what he's telling us here with that wording in the Greek. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Verse 20, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm with you. I'm with you, uh, Lord John. Verse 21, then. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let us remember that this book was written not only to inform the believer, but also written to warn the lost of their eternal doom 
and to bid them to seek the Savior who alone can deliver them from a godless eternity. Eternity. Are you living for eternity right now? Did you wake up this morning and think to yourself, I'm living for eternity right now? Did you consider your eternity at all today? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you trust him that you're in his hands for eternity? Do you know that you know that he's got you? If you don't know that, you can know that tonight. This letter, this letter is an appeal to those who have not put their hope and faith and trust in Jesus for their eternity yet. How far away is eternity? Sometimes it can feel like it's a long ways away, right? But guess what? It's not. It's only a heartbeat away for all of us. For all of us. Hmm. First Corinthians. In conclusion, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through 57 reads, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is, that is written, death, has, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, church, the plan of redemption was launched before you were even born. It was launched before Adam was even formed. He knew what he was going to do. The first act of religion, we can find it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, verse 21. The first sacrifice, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, when they fell and likely fell dimensionally, and God went looking for them, they were hiding. What's the first thing that he did? The first sacrifice, the first shedding of blood was made right there in Genesis chapter 3. Why? To cover them. He made them clothing, skins to cover their shame. Jesus has always been about covering, covering for us and making sacrifice for us. And even in that moment, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, he was telling us, showing us, pointing us to Jesus and what was going to have to be, what was going to happen on the cross, teaching teaching Adam and Eve even back then that, that only by the shedding of innocent blood would they be covered. Mm. On another tree, in another garden, where Jesus hung. It's a scarlet thread. I say that all the time because my teacher... One of my teachers, my favorite teacher, Chuck Missler, uh, Calvary Chapel, uh, all those guys, Cornelia House. Chuck always talked about the scarlet thread. Can I see this graphic? The scarlet thread that runs from Genesis through Revelation, from the seed of the woman in G Genesis 3 to the call of Abraham in Genesis 12 to the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49, the, di the dynasty of David in 2 Samuel 7, to the virgin birth in Bethlehem that was prophesied in Isaiah 7, to another tree in another garden. This book is it's something else. I don't understand how anybody could read this book and say it's a, 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 a bloodthirsty God that wants... Uh, uh, that's judge, judging and uh, judgmental and uh, once uh, is condemning and they just don't, they, I, you haven't read it if that's what you think this book is 
The attributes of God are on display through and through in this book. Can we see this next graphic? What are the attributes of God? What do we learn? What have we seen through this study? Infinite power. Infinite power. Infinite knowledge. The creation manifests both of these. His infinite power and his infinite uh, knowledge. But also his infinite love. Knowing that man, if left, to, if left free to choose, would enter a predicament that only the death of God would suffice to save him from. Only the death of God would suffice to save him. Extricate him. John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And that's Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is Jesus too. His righteousness. His righteousness is the only one that qualifies. No one will enter heaven eternity, heaven, heaven and eternity, without the proper credentials. No visas are granted on the other side of the border here, okay? Uh, you need to arrange them here first. John chapter 3, verse 36 reads, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So what are you putting your hope in? What are you putting your trust in? What are you putting your faith in? What are you putting your eternity in? You rolling the dice? Are you rolling the dice? Uh, are you saying, hey, I'm as good as the next guy? Not good enough, strike one. Are you saying, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Not righteous enough, I'm sorry. Strike two. Do you say uh, to yourself, you know, I try to live by the Ten Commandments on the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Strike three. Works won't save you. I implore you, give your life to Jesus Christ. Put your hope and your trust and your faith in him right now. You may never get another chance right now. Your eternity is only a heartbeat away, a car crash, a stray bullet, an unexpected stroke. What? A heartbeat away. You have an appointment. You understand. You have an appointment. There are no accidents in God's kingdom. All right? You have an appointment. Where will you find yourself on that day. How sure are you of where you will find yourself on the other side of this dimension? And what is your basis for that conviction? You know, the statistics on death are impressive. It's still 100%. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7, in closing here, uh, verse 21 through 23 reads, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we ha have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. A relationship with Jesus Christ to know him, to be known by him, relationship, your trust in the finished work of the cross and the empty tomb, all built on that, letting him work in your life and your heart, daily walking with him. Do you know Jesus? If you don't know him and you want to know him right now, say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. 
I believe that you rose from the grave on the third day. I believe that you love me. I believe that you paid my debt, the debt of my sin. Lord, robe me in your righteousness, Lord, so when the Father looks upon me, I can be in his presence and he'll not see me falling short, nor my inability to be good enough and holy, Lord, but he'll see your holiness, your righteousness, as I'll be seated with you. Lord, I put my hope and my trust in you for eternity. Lord, help me live for eternity today and live for eternity every day hereafter. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord do a work in your heart. May the Holy Spirit begin a work in your heart tonight. May you never be the same. May you go forward full of hopeful expectations of the good things that are to come. Although we are still here, and not raptured yet, not there yet, we're still here. There is still sorrow, there are still tears, there is still heartbreak, there is still the, the uh, persecution and friction that builds the pearl, that causes growth of the treasure and the jewel, although we're still here in that place. You can know that your eternity is secure in the hands of Jesus. And he said that the Father, I've lost not one, not one for you. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour grace out on you and understanding and knowledge that passes beyond all understanding. May you go in grace, prosper in all you do. Know that you are loved. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We love you guys so much. Click share, click like. Do all that stuff. Get this video seen so uh, seeds can be planted in the hearts and minds of people to come to the Lord and know his goodness and know his love and truly live and truly step into the freedom that they were created to have and to live in. Do that for me, will you guys? Please help us get this out there. We love you so much. Um, have a wonderful night and we'll see you on Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. online or at the Rutledge West. Good night.